Radio. Restore Love Stories, a Restore Night Talk by Candace Passion. Hi, everyone. <laughs> All right, so before I start, um, Lorraine was mentioning that I have been posting real-life love stories. Um, actually, when I was approaching people to write stories for me, I wanted to write one just so they could kind of have a feel about um, what, yeah, what, what I was looking for, like the stories I was looking for. So I wrote a love story about, like, you know, little crushes, and then I sent it to somebody, but then I realized when I was collecting some of the love stories that, the beauty in them is that they were real and that they were authentic. Because I was going to post that one as like just a pilot episode just to see, guys, this is love. Let's talk about it. But then I got this story and I was like, nah, this is the one. All right. So I'll read it to you guys. My hopes and dreams for my newly found career came to this final moment. I was handing my final assessment for my master's. It took two and a half grueling years. I had sacrificed so much for it including time for any relationships, especially romantic ones. So I went to the shops with my family to celebrate, and that's when I bumped into him. Ooh. (laughs) It was something straight out of a romantic comedy. First, the eye contact, clear and locked. Then the smile. The smile that you have when you're at a restaurant and you see your food about to come. (laughs) Then the body language. A genuine hug that says, hello, friend, it's been a while. And it had been a while, 10 years to be exact. The conversation was everything that you could ever wish that a conversation could go. There was laughter, sincere concern, and that feeling in your stomach that made you wish it could go on for longer. Were they butterflies? I was on my way to withdraw money from the bank to pay for something at the shop because the FPOS machine wasn't working. And guess who worked at the bank? He did. Was it fate or just coincidence? Knowing we had to part ways, I was a little saddened at the thought that I may never see him again. But like I said, this conversation was perfect. So we parted with him saying, hey, I hope to see you around more. I smiled back. Me too, I thought. Me too. I couldn't help but smile at the timing. The day I had officially finished my master's was the day I might have met the one Was it really that magical? Failing to keep him off my mind, I tried to take matters into my own hands. Thank God for Facebook, I did some light stalking. We all do it, right? But before I got in too deep, a message notification comes up on my laptop. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was him. Blood rushed to my face and my heart raced as I tried to keep it cool and casual. He said, hey, It was nice bumping into you the other day. And I said, oh, hey, I totally forgot we were Facebook friends. Dude, it was totally good seeing you too. Well played. And so it began. Our short messages turned into long ones. I looked forward to his essay-like replies to mine. Then we started sending good morning and good night texts. It was becoming your typical online relationship. I was genuinely happy to get to know him again. Ten years was a long time and a lot had changed. I met him as a good friend's boyfriend. Although they'd broken up since, he was one of the first guy friends I had that I really got along with. So I was thrilled to have this friendship back. But of course, I was open to having something more. One night, he was attending a friend's wedding. 
He started messaging me and said he thought of me. Was this really it? I started getting butterflies in my stomach, the same ones that I had when I bumped into him. Could it really be destiny? After some photos of the wedding food and flirty messages coming back and forth, I asked him how he knew the newly wedded couple. And he said, my girlfriend is friends with a bride. His girlfriend. Heartaches are real because you can literally feel your heart breaking inside. You can feel it pulling apart slowly and excruciatingly. And no amount of tears or words of comfort could stop her from tearing. After a while, I became disillusioned with the idea that I was better than her. The reason why he talked to me, especially in that way, was because I could give him something that she obviously couldn't. So with a lot of shame, I still tried. I thought that what we had is so much better, that his reason to lie was because he was unhappy. So I sought for the truth, but he couldn't answer me. Eventually, I realized he couldn't give me what I wanted, even though I was willing to give him everything that he needed. No, it wasn't fate or destiny. It was a lesson, one I had to learn before I met the real one. So that was the first story that I shared in the blog. Um, so the blog I started a few months ago, um, I put that first blog in April and I've been running it <coughs> weekly uh, since then and I've got three posts left, which is both sad and exciting because it takes a bit of work. Um, and the blog just ex uh, explores different types of love. Falling in love is one of the most exciting and exhilarating things that you can experience. Love is the muse of most great songs and TV shows and films. Even when like the film is horror or action, the writers still write in a love story just because it creates interest and, um, and people can relate to it better. Fun Funnily enough, the English language only has one word for it, love. Um, so there's a, it derives from a Germanic Sanskrit form. I don't know what that is, but it derives from that. Um, and it's, it's spelled L-U-B-H. I don't know how to pronounce it, but let's just call it love her. <laughs> love her means desire. So accordingly, when somebody that's English speaking talks about love, you think about the romantic love, like the desire to be loved. But, but yeah, so when, when I'm like, oh, how's your love life? Of course, everybody thinks about romantic, right? But English people aren't as thinking. Wow, <laughs> words. Um, now, so the Greeks, the ancient Greeks in particular, they, they thought a lot about philosophy and life and love. So they actually broke down the word love into six different types of love. Actually, they had seven, but one of them's mania, which is obsessive love, and I didn't really want to talk about that, so I was like, laters. <laughs> so the ones that I talked about, um, are eros, which is romantic love, philia, which is brotherly love or deep friendship, lunus, which is manipulative and playful love, pragma, which is long-standing or practical love, philotia, I'm not Greek either, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right, philotia, which is self-love or self-esteem, and agape, which is love for all or selfless love. So I've been blogging for a few years now, and most of the time it's to help me iron out some thoughts trying to figure out what I think and what I believe and why I believe them. So it's an avenue for me to do that. But another thing that I do with it is to be able to present ideas and ideals that I think that the world needs to hear. 
Um, so at the beginning of the year, I was thinking about ways that I can engage with my readers more because I've, I've been lucky to be able to have a lot of readers. Um, but I wanted to do something that was kind of ongoing and that would hook people. And I wanted to include other people because people are tired of hearing from me. So I thought of this concept. YFC, Youth for Christ, if you haven't heard about it, they have a talk that talks about four of those different types of love. So eros, um, romantic love, brotherly love. Um, what was the other ones? Storge. Oh, I didn't say storge, which is familial love. And um, agape, which is that self-sacrificing love. And I guess the fruits of that talk when I heard it are still blossoming in me today. And looking back on myself and my experiences, there are a few other things that have um, encouraged me to pursue this kind of writing. One, I love to write and I, and I love to think about um, thoughts and ideas and ideals. And secondly, I love love. Like, it's not just the romantic kind of love, but most of the time it is. Um, just ask anyone that I have um, ministered with or anyone that I've had a meal with, 90% of the time I would have asked them about their love life. And lastly, I'm passionate about people being able to experience this kind of love. So why is love important? Um, so I'm really bad at referencing things, right? And I have really bad memory, but I just know when I when a thought incepts into my brain, it just stays there for a while and just keeps like fizzling until I do something with it, right? And I think the source of this is an article. I don't even remember what the, the mechanics of the article was, but I just remember the punchline. So I'll try to kind of communicate that. Um, so a bunch of journalists went into somewhere. It was either a slum or a prison. So somewhere where there's a lot of people that are disadvantaged or they, they have a lot of needs, like the fundamental needs. And the interviewer went to them to ask about what those fundamental needs were and what they were worried about. And to their surprise, most people just came back to them and started talking about how they were worried about their love lives. I think it speaks about an innate desire in us to love and be loved. It goes back to love her. Like there's just that desire. Um, love doesn't discriminate between gender and race and age. It just gets all of us. Um, loving is almost synonymous to living. It's funny because life, love, and time are the things that are most desired by humans, and for all of them, we can't buy them. It just kind of is, right? Um, so the call to defend love for me was awakened a few years ago. I think um, just because of the person I am and what I'm passionate about, it's always kind of laid dormant in me, but it was really awakened when I went to another YFC event, a Youth for Christ event called 100% Free. Um, so even in, in the name of the event, there's kind of a beauty in it, right? So the event is designed to talk about purity and chastity and love. Um, and usually, especially when Catholics talk about those kind of things, it's people kind of connotate it to be all the things you can't do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. It's just all these barriers of things you can't do. But in that name, 100% free, it's inviting you to, to do things and to choose things, which is beautiful. Anyway, back to the story. So I was at 100% free and one of the guys um, who is a prominent leader and who's grown up um, with a really good family, um, he had everything going for him, 
like he still does, but yeah, he's cool. Um, so he was giving a sharing or talking about his life and talking about how he had fallen in his purity. And I could just see in his eyes, it just hurt him so much to be able to share that and to, to share about that intimate part of his life. And the thing that really got me was he said, I wish somebody had told me about that. And it got to me because I'm like, this guy has been in Youth for Christ his whole life. He's in a Catholic family. Like, how has he not heard about this? So in response to that call, the year later, I went to join this ministry called Net Ministries, which is um, young people that go around Australia trying to evangelize and talk about Jesus and life and love and all good things. Um, it was a crazy year. I was based in Melbourne. I was the team leader for a group of six young people um, from Canada, from Sydney, from Brisbane, from Melbourne, and one of my good friends from Uganda. His name's Dr. Dennis. Dennis. Um, and he, um, we encountered about 3,000 young people all over Australia. We ran 75 youth groups. We went to 30, we ran 35 retreats. We drove thousands of kilometers. Um, we did, it was a crazy year. Um, and it was so much fun. It was beautiful. One of my favorite memories is, um, we got to go to the snows and we just had, anyway. <laughs> so it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fun. In fact, my first retreat day, um, it was up in Brisbane and it was year nines. And I don't know how many teachers are there out there for high school. I don't know what you know about year nine girls in particular, but they are feral. Like, <laughs> I know because when I was in year nine, I was feral and my group were just feral. Um, and um, I had a, a discussion group or a small group of about 15 to 20 girls, which is a lot when you're trying to discuss something deep, right? And the composition of the group was half of them were really popular girls, like like full on like Jamei and that kind of popular girls. <laughs> And like the not so popular girls. So there was already this tension in the group and the hesitance to share, right? And the, the theme for the day was encountering Jesus. And then the speaker went up and she did her thing. She talked about encountering Jesus. And there was one line she said just about letting Jesus come in. And you nine girls being you nine girls, we just took that and they were just so rude and so inappropriate. And so in our little group, when we were supposed to be talking about encountering Jesus, they were making sexual innuendo. And after a while, I just got fed up and I said, you want to talk about sex? All right, let's talk about sex. And for the first time the whole day, all of them just shut up and they looked at me. And then I was, I'm probably not supposed to have been talking about that with the nine girls, but I'm just like, Holy Spirit's leading, so all right, I'll do it. <laughs> so I was just talking about life and love and sex and what the world offers versus what it could be. And when the beautiful thing was, like, yeah, all of those girls were really listening and it was like they had heard something different for the first time. And it was so beautiful. I could see in – I can, like, picture one girl in particular. There was just this desire in her eyes, like, oh, my gosh, like, could I be worthy of that? Could I have that too? But then it was really sad because a second later there was a flick in her eye and it was kind of like, nah, I can't be worthy of that or – no, nah, I don't want to sacrifice what I have for that. So that's the thing about anything good, right? Anything good, you have to kind of make sacrifices for it. Um, 
And the world is just, there's just so much bad in it. And it's just so convoluted that young people think that the bad is the only way to go now. And they think that um, it's not impurity and like bad things in the world aren't just the norm, but the only thing that's available. Um, so at the moment, for me, my blog is the way that I do ministry. I research and I integrate Catholic teachings and the things that I think about and invite people to contemplate them with me. Um, I did a post about a year ago. Do you guys remember Harambe, the gorilla? So I did a post about that, and it's still to this day, it's still one of my most read um, like posts. And um, it's just really funny because um, like the way that I wrote it, it wasn't like overtly Catholic or pro-life or pro-anything, but it was really low-key pro-life and like human dignity. And then one of the biggest affirmations that I've had for, for what I'm doing is one of my friends um, who's not religious at all, doesn't have the same worldview as me, she came up to me and she was like, I read that post and I just agreed with everything you wrote. And I think that it's just really different the way that you said it because I've never thought about life in that way. Um, that's the funny thing about truth, right? Usually sometimes it can be really like convoluted and it can be really intense. Like if you think about big things like, I don't know, I don't know what big things are, but, um, but usually when there's something that is truth, like love, you can just let it be what it is and it will defend itself. Um, one, of the, one of the most beautiful things that I've experienced while doing the Love Stories series is um, just being able to bring people together. Um, I've been able to hear from people that I've never met before, especially in person, and I'm, I might never even meet. Um, I've been able to talk to friends that I've known for a long time that I don't usually talk about deep things with because we know that we're just going to disagree and then we talk about really deep things and we actually listen to each other and agree with things and we talk about things like downfalls of sexual promiscuity without like us being judgy or without us doing anything. And one that's one thing I think is really important for us as young people especially in the social media age, um, it's sensitivity to the truth that we are defending. It doesn't mean that we water down what we're trying to say or, or we try to change it, but it's just that we instruct people gently. Like Jesus with the adulterer woman, right? So there's all these people there about to stone her and Jesus is just like, so where are all your accusers? Did not one of them condemn you? And she said, no. And he said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. As Catholics, we tend to um, get so fired up in defending our faith because we know what we have is good. But we need sensitivity in spreading that truth because we get so caught up in winning a debate that we sacrifice hearts and souls for it. Um, another story that I shared was from a good friend, Esther, who's here tonight. And um, she was talking about a disagreement she had with her sister, um, her sister said to her one day, I just don't believe in what the Catholic churches teach anymore. I don't want to go to church. And I, she says in her story, I'd never felt more distant to her than I had at that moment. And she said she started to think, when did she start feeling like this? And why now? I was so busy about feeling upset that I didn't have time to talk about, to think about what she was going through. My sister was someone who was an instrument of my faith growing up. I thought she was just trying to hurt me. I felt betrayed. I kept thinking, she's just jealous of my relationship with God. 
I was leading people to Christ through youth ministry at the time, but I felt like a fraud and I, if I couldn't do that at home. My heart was heavy. I went to visit my priest one day and I poured my heart out. He said to me, before you pray for her heart, pray for your own heart. These words cut me like a knife. I realized I was thinking about myself. I never once stopped to consider her feelings or what she may have been going through. She opened her heart to me and I silenced her whenever she spoke. I realized she never asked me to fix her or lead her back to the faith. She was asking me to just listen to her and be there for her. Um, I think Christians in particular, we receive so much flack because um, sometimes there's a lot of people out there that don't walk the talk. And I found that usually when people are like that, when they're really discriminatory or unforgiving, it's because they're unforgiving or discriminatory of themselves. As Christians, we talk about spiritual battle happening in the world and we think that this, the battle just lies outside, like our work, our family, our relationships, our ministry. But the first battleground that we have to win is our own hearts. So we have to be loving and forgiving of ourselves as well. It doesn't mean that we have to love perfectly and never sin. It just means that we're learning to be kind to ourselves and others as well. Um, so a few weeks ago, a friend of mine messaged me asking about the series and asked if a certain story was mine. I laughed and I replied that none of the stories were actually mine. And he said, oh, because the blog is your love story, that's deep. I, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, so I never planned on writing my own love story. Like it felt natural to me because I never, I actually prefer hearing other people's love stories and telling mine. And I built this whole blog as an outlet for my thoughts and my stories. And I wanted to give a platform for other people to share their stories. Um, but another reason that I didn't want to share it is because, uh, my relationship with my boyfriend is like, we don't really have a big twist. Like, I was really intentional about all the writers that I went to um, because I knew that there was something there. Like, for example, unrequited love, like in the first love story, or um, loving a child that you didn't plan on having, or um, loving a spouse who is um, having mental health issues. Um, and for my boyfriend and I, we don't have any... Hollywood twist, we don't have any supernatural over, like, obstacles that we have to overcome, but like, we do have our own things, but it's not, if I went to a production house to try to make a movie or a book about our love story, they would have to embellish a lot of things for people to be interested in it. But in a way, its simplicity is the beauty. The stories in the series have been pretty spectacular, not because that they were, they were embellished or dramatized, but because they were the truth and they were a, ref a reflection of reality. It's stories about humanity failing and standing up again and struggling and wanting love and discovering that you're worthy of that love. But I know that in its own simple way, my relationship with my boyfriend is beautiful too. Um, we were dating while I was on net and that had its own share of difficulties. Um, he was in Sydney and I was based in Melbourne. So there was that long distance, but not even just long distance, but I couldn't talk on the phone every day. So we could only talk maybe twice a week. Um, so that was pretty hard. And um, with the girls on my team or with my team in particular, I didn't, I didn't speak about him all the time 
just when I was having a hard day or if he said something, I would share to them sometimes. And we didn't do anything spectacularly holy or crazy to make people think that we were anything good, like we were just ourselves. But at the end of the year, I had one-to-one chat with with each of my girls on my team and each of them um, affirmed me of my relationship and it's and said that our relationship had inspired them in their relationships. And I think that um, it was just an affirmation for me in the simplicity of what we do. Um, we don't have to do anything massive like um, be a nun or be a priest or go do mission work in Africa to do something and restore the culture. We can, be, we can restore the culture in our own simple ways. Um, I didn't even write a conclusion, so I'm nervous. <laughs> um, but I think I think that's pretty much the message of it. Um, we we have um, we have our own lives to live, and our lives can be the gospel, and our lives can be the love story that um, that the world needs to hear. Because maybe sometimes our love story is the only one that people get to hear, right? Um, and sometimes it, it may it may sound easy, like oh, Candace is just talking about love. But it's actually, it's actually a lot of work. Like I have to spend a few hours every week on top of work and study and my own social life. Um, and also like you might, you might think that, oh, she's talking about love. It's nothing controversial. But I've already gotten like controversy over it. Like so I have to know, I have to be aware of what I'm doing and I have to know that I'm actually speaking truth. But And at the end of the day, I feel like God has called me to share about this mes- message of love um, no matter how simple or how complex it may be. And like for, for all of you guys, I think you guys have your own callings and God's calling you in a different way to be able to witness this love in a different way. Um, so it might be something like doing culture project or serving on net like I did or YFC or in your workplace or in your families. But I invite you to discern what where your love story is going to be, where God is calling your love story to go and who it's trying to reach. That was Candice Passion with Restore Love Stories. The Restore Nights are an event hosted by the Culture Project Australia at the Commercial Hotel in Parramatta. For more from the Culture Project Australia, and for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.